a six-month hiatus, we are back with the final episode <laughs> of In the Queue with me, yep. Tim McFerrin, and John Slusar. Hello. John. How are you doing, Tim? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, man? I'm doing well. What is, uh, what six months looked like for you? Um... um Seasons have changed. Uh, yeah, well, a lot's happened. So, right. our last, our last episode was McCabe and Mrs. Miller, oh my and that God. was in yeah. early June. Uh huh. So since that happened, so I guess we should explain exactly uh, the situation. I guess so. It's just been very busy time for both of us. I think uh, when we started the the podcast, it was kind of like just like a month into the the pandemic right and uh i think we were sort of bored you know and we had a little bit more time Mm -hmm. and uh so it made sense to kind of start this podcast and then you know it didn't take too long but like as the months wore on i think and as our lives kind of went back to some kind of normalcy in some way it'd be kind of it just became a little bit more difficult to consistently record. So totally. I remember like maybe it was about a year ago. I feel like we discussed the idea of ending it like a year ago, maybe not quite a year ago, but uh, just cause for the same reasons, I think we were just kind of like, well, we're not able to record enough. So what's the point? But then we decided, well, th- this can just be a podcast to where we just record whenever we feel like it, whenever it's convenient and it's fun. And I actually like that idea, right? But still, even if that's the idea, <laughs> it'd be better to record at least a couple in six months, you know. Yeah. So the fact that we haven't, I just think it's just to me, it just shows that we're both kind of busy. And right. Um, as nice as it would it would be to kind of have this sort of casual podcast situation, I just think uh, going forward. Uh, I know you and I have discussed, so this will be the last episode of In the Cube, but you and I, I think, are going to continue to discuss film in a different medium. Right, totally. Because to me, it's just like, you know, the conversations are always good when we do the episodes. It's just like the time is not there, so I think it's easier when it's like, you know, another medium being like YouTube, I assume, we'll put videos up there. You know, this is like mm-hmm. down the road, though. Yeah. Have, like time and all that crap yeah we'll probably get started on this sometime after the new year Mm -hmm. um because so like we did discuss like uh the possibility of just like kind of i think we were gonna always plan on doing that but i think you had suggested maybe rebranding the podcast as this this thing like this this other thing which i mean we could do i just think that because we conceived this as a podcast it kind of just makes sense for us to sort of put a bow on it in some yeah. way, but then there's no reason why we can't start another project. Absolutely. So I think a podcast, um, well, it's, it's just funny because like this next thing that we'll end up doing will be kind of similar to a podcast Basically. in some ways, but it'll also involve uh, incorporate other, other formats. I think, right. uh, totally. it doesn't have to be a strictly audio based thing. Um, I just think if you're doing a podcast, it's just, especially if you're if you're just trying to have it gain traction, like 
you just have to record as much content as possible. And uh, I just think we're both kind of in a position where we just can't really do that. No. You know, that's not to say we don't have time to watch movies and to talk about them in some way. I just think that um, going forward, uh, it's just going to be in a uh, a different me. We're going to be in the queue is going to be ending. But we're going to be beginning a new project that is not ex- uh, limited to just a podcast. It'll be essays, and we, we can even link. Uh, we'll link like our letterbox accounts to it, right. so that we can incorporate like writing. You know, so it'll be kind of a multimedia sort of thing. Absolutely, um, I think also and, it opens the opportunity for like other people to contribute to. Exactly, like, if someone wants to talk about, you know whatever you know if they watch like documentary on netflix they thought was really cool or even really bad you know you could at least talk about it and it's not hard to record yourself talking in front of a microphone you know there's a lot of programs out there exactly so as far as what how that's going to look like you know we're, we're figuring that out but for now you know with this being our last episode i have to say i think it's very um fitting yes that we are discussing this film for this final episode so uh we're going to be discussing the recently released very recently released Mm -hmm. it's actually not even officially released everywhere yet uh the new film by paul thomas anderson licorice pizza so i say it's fitting because i think if you've listened to the show um, pretty much any episode. I feel like almost any episode you could pick out at some point. Paul Thomas Anderson's going to get brought up. <laughs> yeah. So I would say he's the best contemporary American filmmaker. Oh yeah, totally. Um, Absolutely. I'm trying to think of who else I would throw like in that mix, but he's like well, the one that comes to mind first for me anyway. Two episodes of this podcast were exclusively focused around paul thomas anderson that we did kind of early on in the podcast so we recorded those with matt consolazio right um who i know is also a fan um and he's consistently come up on the podcast so i just think it's so not only is it fitting i also think it's just so awesome that you know because uh for a while not so much the last this this last decade of his career but um the first half of his career like he he's not the most prolific director you know like there'd sometimes be five-year gaps in between films and stuff i know the last decade he's been a bit more uh productive but right. um i just what i guess what i'm trying to say is that i just think it's great that during the time in which this podcast exists that we, we have got, a new we have yeah, a new, we got a new PTA, PTA film. man hell yeah you know what i mean yeah it's such I think a joy honestly i think like, that's great and i am glad that we're devoting this last episode to talking about it cuz totally. it's i can't think of a better way to end this podcast yeah. plus the movie so, fucking rules so the movie's great <laughs> so let's let's get into it then so um i know uh, we didn't really discuss how we were going to do this but do you want to try to take a stab at <sighs> It's describing you, this film. You can fill in the gaps as I go along. Um, yeah. Basically, the movie kicks off with uh, a 15-year-old Gary Valentine getting ready for his uh, school portrait day. Um, 
And while he's there, he sees this uh, 25-year-old woman, Alana Kane, who is a photographer's assistant. And he's just, like, immediately infatuated with her. He starts talking about he wants to go on a date with her, how there's, like, a restaurant that, like, they know him at. Like, he's being pretty suave. I mean, overly confident, maybe. But it's very charming and kind of funny. Uh, Invites her to go to dinner with him and... She ends up going to the restaurant. She walks in and kind of like is like, "Don't be weird. Like, don't even like act strange." Things starts like staring at her and stuff. Um, she ends up chaperoning him back to New York City, where he is like an interview show. I think it is because it's, the lady's doing an interview, and then it cuts to like them doing their little like, song and dance routine. Yeah, I think it's just part of like a variety show. Like sure. uh, they're kind of doing just like an excerpt from like a yours mine and ours uh production that he was in and they just they just did one number from it i think yeah yeah Yeah. i love the line where he's like i'm a song and dance kind of guy or whatever yeah it's like really Mm -hmm. goofy i'm a showman yeah yeah i'm a showman that's like i think that's during the uh, audition he does following it though Mm -hmm. so he goes and does an audition um and alana starts dating one of the other actors that uh, Gary works with during this variety show. Um, she ends up breaking up with him after a very awkward uh, dinner sequence. That's <laughs> very funny. I love it. That's really lo- funny. Yeah. I mean, we'll call out the, like, the funniest parts, I'm sure, after the synopsis. Yeah. <laughs> so then Gary starts up a waterbed company. Like, he just does it. And I think that kind of talks like, you know, just the movie has this weird, like, float where things just happen. And you're just like, all right, cool. Starts a waterbed company, uh, is selling waterbeds at some big, like, expo, gets arrested uh, because they think he murdered somebody. He gets, he, the charges don't stick. Um, so, oh man, what happens next? Okay. So, he doesn't go to jail, like, he goes to jail, isn't convicted of anything, they let him go. Um, so, okay, then Alana meets an actor at an audition correct she meets an actor uh jack holden and goes with him to a bar and she's like trying to kind of like flirt with him to make gary jealous or even maybe it's for her own like advances yeah in, career in a way i think know? so i think it's sort I think of there's more to it yeah, yeah for sure uh while they're there uh tom waits character uh, Rex appears, who is, uh, again, played by Tom Waits, and it's a like, hilarious guy who's, like, really, like, gassing up Jack, trying to, like, hype him up for the people at the bar, uh, eventually encourages Jack to try to drive a golf, or a motorcycle, correct? Mm-hmm. A yeah. motorcycle over a flaming pile of, like, debris at a golf course. <laughs> off of a yeah, hill. at a golf course, um, yeah. Yeah, so Alana, you know, is, like, on the back of the motorcycle. He revs it up, and she immediately falls off. Falls off. Gary, <laughs> Gary runs over to her, um, you know, and they basically, like, seemingly make up. Um, so the waterbed business is continuing. Gary and Alana go to deliver a waterbed for uh, John Peters, who is played by Bradley Cooper. Uh, and that is probably like the highlight of the movie, the entire sequence with them. Um, 
it became it's turns into this like long thing about um like getting gas for a car um gary gets mad at john peters and beats the crap out of his like cadillac with a golf club and then like alana has to drive down a hill in reverse <laughs> in a u-haul it's like ridiculous and crazy i mean prior to this john peter is like does a talk with gary and basically says like i'll murder your entire family <laughs> um oh jeez. i mean like you know as, as we go through this it, i think it's more and more apparent that the movie just goes all over the fucking place right yes um so after that alana sees a poster for a local politician who's running for mayor uh joel who's played by uh benny safty i believe right yep yeah benny safty from the i couldn't remember which safty brothers yeah which is kind of sweet because i know they did like a video recently enough with pta where they're like gushing about his movies it's kind of sweet he got a role in this one yeah it's cool yeah it's dope so uh alana's working on the campaign with him uh gary is running a uh, pinball business as pinball is about to be legalized legalized <laughs> which that was like a thing apparently pinball yeah was i didn't know for that a long time yeah so they're legalizing pinball and gary being the entrepreneur he is as he claims earlier in the movie uh decides to buy a bunch of pinball machines and he's like i'm gonna run a pinball emporium and you know it's gonna be a big deal alan is super skeptical of his plans and he just you know rolls with it they have a, basically a falling out um so you know as this whole thing is going on um alana eventually you know comes back to gary at the arcade gives him a huge kiss and then they kind of run off and she says uh, i love you gary and the movie ends and that's it that's i right. mean like there are gaps in there somewhere there are a lot, I'm sure, but man, it's it it's a movie, yeah. dude. It's a it's a it's fucking a movie. movie. It's a movie. Yeah, so exactly. So basically from that description, what you you explain like you went into like a lot happens. A lot happens. There's a lot of locations, there's a lot of like like uh it's a series of like situations in a way but as as kind of rich as as it all is part of what makes it so appealing is the fact that it doesn't have like this very heavy plot no you know what i'm saying like even though it again a lot happens in the movie there's a lot of characters a lot of people come like come and go and it's like this revolving door of of not only people but of like action Mm -hmm. but the overarching narrative is sort of loose you know it's like uh it's what is okay so i remember i wrote i wrote about this in my letterbox review Mm -hmm. but um i remember hearing quentin tarantino mention the term a hangout movie right um and i've heard other people mention it too but i i i just specifically recall an interview with uh with quentin where he was doing that and um i think his film his last film once upon a time in hollywood is one of those movies Mm. and this is one of those movies 
For sure. Uh, this is kind of PTA's version of that. It's like, it's more just capturing a feeling, mm-hmm. even even with multiple locations and little subplots and stuff. The fact that not not a single one of these subplots takes over the narrative of the whole film no. shows you that tells you exactly what kind of movie it is. It's 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 kind of like a meandering movie. Mm-hmm. And there are some movies that kind of attempt to do that and they end up being kind of like pointless, you know, sure. like are, are boring and stuff. But in a movie like this or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or like Days and Confused, for example, that's another hangout movie. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just a, the appeal is just like it's a window into a certain time into an era into a um it, it just kind of drops you into the situation and you're just you're just kind of an observer watching this unfold and it's um it's almost like this like ambient film sure totally <laughs> but uh What's exciting about that is that, like, I had absolutely no idea Same. where it was going. You know yeah. what I mean? As the film went on, from scene to scene, you're you're kind of just because, like, even if like there will be blood, you know, all of his films are unpredictable to an extent. Mm. But with there will be blood, that's a very that's very much like a. I mean, this is a period piece as well, but sure. there will be blood. It's very much like a rigid period piece that's like so even if the events and the actions of the characters are unpredictable in that film Mm. as well there's still i think this central narrative that drives that film you know Mm. and themes that drive that film where to where you could kind of not predict but you kind of maybe see where it's going Mm. um and with this this is just a much more like kind of human story that's not sure. trying to necessarily make a comment about like I, i'm sure that there are there's little comments about certain themes you could say sure. like but i think in general he just wanted to capture like this feeling yeah of just um this sort of irrational feeling of being in love with somebody sure. or infatuated with someone totally and he you could say he did that a little bit in punch drunk love um sure. but even that which is an un, again that's an unpredictable film too yeah. but even that film kind of like follows a more traditional narrative in a way sure. like uh this i i just think that licorice pizza is just so um in a way like so like Punch Strong Glove is more abstract, mm-hmm. you know, but it's it's more simple, I think, right. than this film. Sure. Like, this film, with all its locations and all its situations and little subplots, I think it, all it's really trying to capture is just mm-hmm. this sort of joyous feeling that you have in your life as a youth. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and the feeling of just being in love with someone um specifically like there's like which i know i guess we'll get into this but um people talk about the age gap between the two leads and 
the thing is, it's like they're missing the point. I feel right. like totally. You know it's, what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. It's like so. I guess like going with what you said about kind of it's like the feeling of youth and the feeling of like uh, it feels like with Gary, like nothing is impossible with him. It's like the fact is he started a waterbed company. He started, you know, this pinball, uh, like, arcade, you know, at 15 years old. Right. But, you know, Alana's, like, the one person he's chasing down. It's, like, the that consistent pursuit. And, like, even exactly. as the movie goes on, there are times where, like, it's especially prevalent in the scene where uh, Alana, Gary, and uh, John are in the truck going over the bridge. I think, mm-hmm. like, John says something, like... Oh, like so you guys aren't together or something, right? And mm-hmm. like he's like, well, like why are you guys like dating? And then Gary's like, I don't know. <laughs> like it's a very funny <laughs> yeah. moment, but like yeah. it's true. It's like you know, it's it's about you know young love. It's about yeah. infatuation with somebody and trying to figure that. Out. You know, people are fussy about the age gap, and I'm like, look, he's a 15 year old kid. He he wants to date someone older than him. She's like this, mm. like you know, not like prize to him, but you know, it's. It's, it's just that unobtainable thing to him, you know? Yes. That's yeah. why the ending of the movie, when they kiss, it's kind of a nice little magical moment. You're like, all it's right. It's a nice moment. Yeah, exactly. Well, to me, I always... So I think about, like... So... This <laughs> is so interesting, because... All right, so Almost Famous, the film mm-hmm. Almost Famous. Right. It also takes place in 1973... Right. And the the lead character in the film is supposed to be 15 years old. Okay. And he's infatuated with Kate Hudson's character in mm-hmm. that film, who's really just a couple years older than him, even though, you know, I, I think she, <laughs> in reality, I think Kate Hudson was more like five years older than him, but in the film, she's supposed to be like two or three. But, uh, sure. but it, that's another movie that captures, I think, a similar kind of, feeling which is that um and it's related it doesn't matter who you are like you know like i feel like a lot of people have a memory in their life of being like when they were young of sort of an early what am i trying to say you have infatuations and you you your early experiences with feeling love and experiencing love, mm-hmm. you know, it's usually in a dynamic that just can't happen. You know what right. I mean? When you first, and I just think that this movie is sort of exploring that. Mm-hmm. Well, at the same time, I think also kind of, um, it's not presenting it as if, Oh, it, this is a one sided thing. I think right. they both have that feeling. And I think mm-hmm. that's sort of where the controversy is, but mm-hmm. I still, I don't understand the, uh, the uh, outrage. If you right. want to call it that, if you want sure. to call it that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think like a lot of what the movie does too, is it takes like, you know, Gary's like initial like feelings towards her is like, Oh, she's this, cool 25 year old that's like hot exactly exactly like their relationship becomes like almost like a marriage as the movie progresses i think it's hysterical like when she chases him down in the car when he's like leaving and she's like you're not going anywhere Um, gary (laughs) it's just yeah well it's like like a couple fighting like it's goofy yeah and she i think 
she cares about him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's also just like she's someone who, like, we don't really see her have a lot of friends. You know, like no. she lives with her her sisters who are you know her real sisters and her That's real so parents. Funny, I love that. Are in the movie, and um, she's kind of like the movie suggests that you know she's kind of in this state of like extended adolescence you know Mm. um you know you're living at home you know again her sisters are as well but um you know she's 25 but in some ways she also kind of is like this overgrown child in her own way i think i think she feels self-conscious about not having accomplished more or something which we'll we'll get into that more later because that explains some of her decisions later but Mm -hmm. i think um you know like she so when they first meet each other in the beginning of the movie, it's that so Gary's getting his photo taken because she's a photographer's assistant, and right. uh, he's the only dude who takes her up on the offer of oh here's a free here's a little comb and a mirror you know right. so you could yeah and um, I think she like she establishes straight away like you're like twelve you know what I mean she even says like aren't you like twelve and um. She tries to like create a distinction between the like. She tries to create this divide, like, "Oh, I'm an adult and you're a kid," but we see very early on that they're not that different from each other in terms no. of where they're at in their lives. No. Like, her situations kind of caused her to be sort of infantilized to an extent, and then he's kind of been forced to be an adult for himself, you know, because mm-hmm. they show that like you never see his dad. I don't know; they don't talk about his dad right yes, and then dad. his mom uh he helps his mom out a little bit with her with her stuff mm-hmm. but you know he's on his own a lot so like mm-hmm. um i think his like that entrepreneur kind of spirit comes from that yeah. and i think she is kind of impressed that here's like this young guy who's kind of this go-getter you know right and it, um and yeah, I just think that uh, their dynamic, it's like, it's romantic and it isn't at the same right. time. It's so totally. interesting. It's like, and like, <clears throat> I love the scene where, so you know how, so Gary's first business is the, the waterbed business, right? Right. So, and the business is called Soggy Bottom. Is that, right. am I right? Mm-hmm. That's what he was calling it? Right. I love, first off, I loved, because as they did that, I, I remember I, I said to Katie while we were watching, I was like, that was going to be the title. That was the working movie. title of it, yeah. And she was like, Phew. like, she was so glad that, that he didn't call it that. <laughs> but it is funny that, like, I remember, I, I, I read something not that long ago with Paul where he was like, oh, like, I was calling it Licorice Pizza for, like, the working title, but I couldn't justify calling it that. I was, I was calling it Saki Bottom, Bottom, so then, yeah. um, so then... I went with licorice pizza and I know people are pissed about that too, but I actually like the title. I like it. I think um, it's good. Yeah. But, uh, I like how, so one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when, um, so you know, when it's like, they just start doing the waterbed thing and their first kind of showcase they do, they have like that woman model and like that bikini or whatever. Right. So then bed, yeah. Alana does it later, mm-hmm. but like, she's almost doing it because like she wants to like get Gary's attention. Yeah. But at that point, Gary's kind of just accepted like, okay, you claim you don't, you're not interested in me. So like 
he starts showing interest in that other girl, you know? Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. and what's so funny is that sequence where she's like on this waterbed and like her, like this super like old school retro, like saggy, like bikini. Yeah. And like, uh, no one's paying attention to her. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I just like how she eventually just leaves and she just walks home <laughs> and she just yeah. walks home. <laughs> in the bikini. It's, uh, hilarious. Yeah. And, and it's, it's an, it's, I think, the second sequence of her going home, going into her bed, and just collapsing on her bed, and just being right. like, ugh. So, you know, I, I just think that her her character is great. Yeah. And, um, and I think that uh, the, uh, the, the tension that between them, mm-hmm. I think, uh, is built they build it very, very carefully. And mm-hmm. they, um, I just think they did a great job initiating her, their relationship. She's, she's sort of weirded out by this 15 year old, like hitting on her. But right. as you mentioned, uh, she shows up to that restaurant. Exactly. She shows and, up, dude. And she consistently, um, she consistently uh, is concerned and interested in Gary's uh, activity. Right. So, like, I just think that um, the fact that she goes along with all these sort of business ideas and schemes, Mm -hmm. like, you could say, okay, well, she's the adult in this situation. Mm -hmm. But they are kind of equals. Yeah. It's like they, they sort of meet halfway and they're like, all right, let's, let's do this waterbed business. Let's, yeah. let's do this. And, um, I just think that they're a great team in this movie. Right. Like Absolutely. their dynamic is just so interesting. Yeah. And, um, part of it is that, uh, so like Alana Haim, like I'm not like, I don't really listen to Haim. I only uh, know a little bit of their stuff. I mean, it's like good from what I've heard. It's just not something I got my way to listen. Like to. it's fine, yeah, but yeah. it's like, but I, I'm not super familiar with her, so it's like I don't really know her as an actor. So, mm-hmm. and then Cooper Hoffman, obviously we all know his father. Yeah. But like, this is the first thing he's ever done. Yeah. And I have so much to say about their performances, just because yeah. I think. I think they were both fantastic, and they part so of what good. made it so good for me was the fact that I kind of didn't know either of them. Mm-hmm. Like, I I know that they're both famous, which mm-hmm. is so weird. It's not like they're they're not total unknowns. Like, no. Cooper Hoffman's dad is Philip Seymour Hoffman, who is one of the greatest American actors sure. of all time, absolutely, and a close friend of PTA and collaborator. So now you have his son acting in this film. He looks a lot like him, yet. Mm-hmm. I've never seen him before, so it's like I, there is this completely new element to, to right. his presence in the film. And then Alana Haim, I know who she is because I'm aware that she's a musician, but because her, I'm completely unfamiliar with her as an actor, I was just able to accept them as their characters. Right. And that actually made it so much more enjoyable for sure. me. And totally. I... I thought they were great. I don't know. What, what, what did you think of their performances? I thought they were both awesome, honestly. I thought, like, I mean, Cooper, like, going into it, I assumed he'd be good. I mean, like, 
I don't know. Like, it's not even, like, a thing of, like, oh, you know, he's Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. But I figured, like, he'd be good. I mean, just collaborating with PTA. Like, Alana, for some reason, I had, like, some reservations about, like, you know, could she pull it off? But I also didn't know anything about the movie. Like, I only saw the trailer with uh, Life on Mars playing, and I was like, all right, this is a fucking vibe. Sick. I'll check it out. (laughs) You know? Um, Which, you know, I haven't gotten that from one of his movies since... uh, I don't even know the last movie I got like that kind of feeling from. Even like Inherent Vice, like the trailers for it were awesome, but like mm-hmm. I don't care for Inherent Vice really. Um, yeah, and I, was my... I want to revisit it kind of now though after watching this. Oddly enough, yeah, same. But no, like Alana was fantastic in this. I thought uh, I love how she kind of is always like <clears throat> it's like middle space between like that adolescence, but also like trying to act older around other folks like obviously mm-hmm. like uh jack holden sean penn's character is like a clear example i even love like when she's like flirting with him at the bar gets like the martini or whatever and she's just like like oh i don't know what you're talking about like, she's very clearly like yeah you guys are what the fuck is going on here and mm-hmm. and this even when gary comes into the bar and she like, sticks her tongue out at him and is clearly trying to like piss him off like it's so good. Like she nails the role like so 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 well. Um, yeah, she does. It's yeah. It's such. It's like honestly like up there for my favorite like performances in a PTA movie. I think they're both yeah. like, so good. In this. It's so I know. charming and just like it's just like sweet to see it, man. You yeah, know? it's charming. They're very unassuming performances right. too. It's like mm-hmm. they they're very unique mm-hmm. and very like. Uh, they have such character to them, but they're not over the top characters at all, right. you know, which is nice. Cause like, um, as much as I love PTA, I do think that he sometimes makes very over the top characters, you sure. know, just, and I understand that because that's often very cinematic, but there's something to be said about crafting characters that are maybe less, um, that are more subtle, I guess. Sure. So like, for example, so like, like Daniel Plainview is not a subtle character. No. Uh, Freddie is not a subtle character. Uh, even Barry Egan is not no. really subtle. You know what I mean? Like these are very like so um, or like Julianne Moore and Magnolia is very much <laughs> very, not subtle. Very not subtle. Yes. So I know I go on. I always talk about sure. that, but uh, no, totally. No, I but, agree. Though. But Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman are very kind of like. These are not over the top performances, and because I just I'm so like this is kind of their both of their like feature film Mm. debut. I just completely accepted them for who they were, and they were both so charming. Right. Uh, The yours, mine, and ours sequences in particular. That's my favorite sequence in the film. It's so good. Yeah. It's just. The way it's shot and the choreography of it all, and just like uh, uh, the way it's presented, it's just it's so fun to watch, mm-hmm. and um, and it's like Cooper Hoffman is like this, like it's like a that's like a real 15, 16 year old kid, seventeen, right. like like he's like pimply and stuff. Yeah. And like Alana is kind of odd looking in her own way, yeah. but then they both have like this very unique appeal at the same time. Like sure. there's something engaging about them both. 
and I thought that um, it's because I really did like Cooper Hoffman in this, but I have to say I think that Alana Haim kind of gave the best performance in for this sure, film. for sure. It's it's just it's it's one that seems suited to her, but at the same time, it's also it's a role that I could have seen other actors either over overacting it yep. or not really knowing what to do with it. And I right. think she kind of just lived this role. Like it just, it's such a natural performance right. and it, because they're the leads in this film it just, it creates this really kind of enjoyable sort of lighthearted tone. Sure. That's so refreshing for a PTA film. It's the most fun I've had a PTA movie. I think yeah, like overall, I think like so in general, too. Like even like Punch Drunk Love, I think is a very funny movie. There are like moments in that it's that I think funny, are hysterical, but I also yeah, get like it's darker. So anxious during parts of that movie too. Where it's like, mm-hmm. oh my god, like Barry. But uh, no, this one like the whole way through, it's just it's hysterical and going off like what you said about like characters who um are a bit like over the top i guess i love that like those strange over the top characters for this one are like not main characters in it like right jack holden's like pretty ridiculous Rex exactly. character. john peters obviously is the most he's absurd the of the most. characters but mm-hmm. he's also like he's in the movie for what maybe like 15 20 30 minutes i don't even know dude like he's probably not even that no it's a very I've... 10 minutes yeah and it's like like we were talking the other day it's like towards the end of the movie it's i like know the latter third you're just like i know and like the shot everyone knows like from the trailer of him like bashing the mirrors the, on the car yeah. that's in the end credits that's in the yeah it's that's like, in the end yeah yeah you don't which even is like an awesome shot but it's like <laughs> i love it uh which is funny because i know yeah. so you're not a huge bradley cooper guy no right not really no. what did you think what did you think of him i thought it was hilarious yeah, i thought he was I, so good his character is like the entire sequence with him was honestly my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. I thought it was, it was so great. good. So it ridiculous. So fun. Well, it's just funny how he, like, so, like, you know, they're installing a, a waterbed right. into his home. Mm-hmm. And presumably he's just, as they arrive, he's probably just snorted, like, his fourth line of Coke mm-hmm. for the night. And he kind of does that thing of, like, oh, yeah. You seem like a good kid. Yeah, I could see myself. I see myself in you a little bit. Oh, by the way, if anything happens to my my house, I'm gonna fucking kill you. Family. You know what I mean? And it's like I think Gary just thinks, okay, here's some like entitled assholes threatening me. So yeah, yeah. in a way, it's stupid. I'm like, okay, well, why are they? Because they uh, should should we talk about that? I I mean, we don't have to get into it too much, but sure. you know, basically, Gary decides, okay, we're gonna. After he installs the waterbed, he decides, "Okay, I'm gonna fuck up this guy's house." Yeah, and they let the they let the water run. But um, <laughs> yeah. but part of me is like, either way, this guy was gonna fuck you up for that. You know what right. I mean? Like he's totally. gonna come home at some point. I don't know what they expected, but uh, it was still very funny, and yeah. I liked how uh, his character uh, Gary Coop, uh, Bradley Cooper, like I liked how he. Uh, in one moment was filled with rage and he's mm. he's so angry at, at this person who slighted him or yeah <laughs> and then moments later but then as soon as someone that he finds attractive walks by him he starts chatting them up yeah and being oh hey so hey 
What's what, what are you, what's going on? What do you? That's, it's like it's so dumb. But I love it. It's so <laughs> dumb, but really funny. And and I can believe it. Like I, yeah. I see the way that uh, Cooper kind of like Bradley Cooper kind of like the sensibilities he kind of injected into that character. I'm like, yes, that is something that he yeah. would do. Well, I love like that's like his exit from the movie is essentially he smashes the window of that one place and then he sees two women who just went playing tennis or something like mm-hmm. walking by and he's like, oh, hey, and he follows them. It's like, I love it. It's like, that's how his that's character it. leaves the movie. That's he's how, like, all yeah. right, like, oh, hey. And, and before he showed up, I was um, like watching a movie, like, like, as you said, like I... Um, before he showed up, I almost forgot he was in the film. Yeah. Because, like, it happened so late in the movie. Um, but it is really fun. It's a very fun sequence. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a comedy, really. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, there, you know, there's some, there's, like, dramatic themes, but overall, I think it's a very fun movie to watch. Uh, I'll say... If there's one thing I have to say about it that I'm kind of, I mean, I, I suppose like so right now I'm kind of still thinking about it. I'm trying to think mm-hmm. where it kind of fits in with the rest of his films. I actually do think it's one of his best movies for sure. So. Um, but uh, if, if there's one thing I have to criticize, if there's anything critical I have to say is that um, I do think that the Benny Safdie subplot is a little tacked on. Yeah. Like it, that happens at like the very end of the yep. movie. It's weak, I think. And I just, I just think it was an odd, it's an odd plot. Uh, to, it's, it's an, it's an odd subplot to add to the film at mm-hmm. such a late, in so, so late into the film. Totally. To the point where it happens late. Like, I almost feel like that sequence could have worked if it happened a little earlier. Yeah. And it, 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 there could have been some more reflection on it. But by the time that subplot ends, the movie's almost over. And I feel right. like it doesn't really work. Um, that being said, I get why they wanted to do it. Because the way I see it is her getting involved in that was her way of establishing her own her own life separate right from gary you know mm-hmm. i think she felt like oh like i'm hanging on to this kid you know what i mean like i'm an adult like i i i should have more control over my life and what i'm doing instead of like allowing this dude who's 10 years old 10 years younger than me to kind of dictate my my whereabouts mm-hmm. and my my activity right. so i think she wanted to be involved in something that she felt like was important and was like her own I also feel like it wasn't exactly necessary. The, no, the placement of it's so awkward too. I think it's, yeah. it's what you said. It's like it happened earlier. I think like Benny's like very good in that role. I think he's yeah, he's good. Job. Yeah, it's he's not a good like actor. the most like difficult performance to no, pull it's... off. I think. I mean, it's kind of like probably what most kind of... like youngish male yeah. actors at some point do. Like oh, like the politician who wants politician. to. But like what I like about that plot is like it's what you said. It's Alana is trying to establish like she says to Gary like. Yeah, well, I'm changing, like, I think she's like, I'm changing the world, or, like, mm-hmm. I want to, like, change the world. Exactly. I want to do this. I want to impact lives. Yeah. And Gary's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I want to fucking, like, have it inc- have an arcade. So it's like that gap between them. Like, one wants to make a difference in the world. One wants to play games. And, like, yeah, 
that's not exactly. you know it, it's it's done to articulate that i guess and emphasize that part of the relationship but the sequence is so late in the movie it's like yeah i know the final like 15 minutes it's maybe, like the last 15 minutes years, like, i know it's rushed maybe a 20 bit. minutes yeah yeah and i think it, it, they could have done a lot more with it i think like the catalyst for uh which i guess in a weird way maybe it works if it's supposed to be a slice of life thing but, like mm-hmm. the catalyst for alana to go back to gary is that dinner after that dinner when uh matthew the uh gay partner, partner yes yeah. partner like uh wants he's like upset because he's like being kept a secret so then alana right. walks him home and then like he says beard. something like all yeah. men are shit or something and right. then alana like has a moment and she runs back and they run into each uh runs into gary on the street to go to the arcade mm-hmm. and you know they kiss i think it's you could look at it as like in that moment she kind of realized like okay like i'm not saying that this is definitively what it is but but you can kind of look at it as she was put into a situation where she saw a dynamic between two people who Mm -hmm. like feel as if they have to like hide who they are or you have this person who's in a position where like, oh, I'm trying to be a politician, so I need, I can't have this come mm-hmm. out. Right? I think she just realized in that moment like how pure Gary's feelings for her right. are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that he's just like he's so just. This is who I how I feel. You know, I like, and maybe it's not even a realization. I just think that she thinks about their situation that mm-hmm. between like uh, Wax is it Wax is that his name the the politician the oh yeah yeah joel uh, yeah joel like uh i just think she realizes that she would rather like i think she feels comfort in knowing that uh there's this person that is very comfortable with expressing their love for her Mm -hmm. and um you know what I'm trying to say? Like I, right. I just think that like she, she she realizes that there's this person that is very on upfront and honest and and um even if he's kinda weird and he and he's young and he's this he's this or that, like he is he's transparent and right. he's he is who he is. And uh I think it's just this moment where she realizes that like this is her this is her guy. Like this right. is her her pal. You know, at the very least, like this is a this is the guy that she likes spending time with. Because totally. you know, she talks about like, oh, like isn't it weird? Like she asks her sister, like, do you think it's weird that I hang out with this guy and his friends? And, his friends yeah. and it's weird because they're kind of like her sisters are kind of like, nah. Yeah. No. <laughs> they they, and I think it's sort of the movie, sort of her getting over this idea of what she thinks she's supposed to be mm-hmm. and it, she just accepts this is how she feels. She right. likes this guy. She enjoys spending time with this guy. She doesn't need to do all these things. Like, I think, um, does that make sense at all? Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, no, I think it's like a lot of the movie really is kind of like not coming of age, I guess, but a lot of it is just kind of about right. Lana, like going like, through so many weird experiences and kind of figuring out who she is. I think it is a coming of age movie. But yeah. it's so different than right. other coming of age films because sure. one that has these these two lead performances that have like this age gap 
therefore they have a different perspective on things. Mm-hmm. But there's also this huge rotating door of supporting characters that kind of makes it unique as well. So right. it, it doesn't feel like a coming of age movie at all. No. I don't like it's technically not a, a coming of age movie, no. but it in a way it's kind of his version of one. Sure. Like, totally. like if, if Paul Thomas Anderson were to make a coming of age film, this is what it would look like. Absolutely. And the result, the result is not a typical coming of age film. And that's exactly what I love about it is yeah. that when it, when the project got announced, I was worried it was going to be too much like a coming of age yep. film. That's kind of how it was like pitched in a weird yeah. way. It felt like when big people were reporting, it's like, Oh yeah. Like set in the seventies. Right. Like, you know, I was like, okay, let's see, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, the younger cast. And I was like, Oh, what is this gonna be but right yeah right like i think it works as like to mark like marketing it like Mm. or to refer to it as coming of age i think that that is accurate but Mm. i guess it's just it's a very (laughs) it's much i think it's more of an elevated version of that sort of genre for sure the movie um is notable for just not, um, even if it deals with dramatic or certain certain themes that might be considered dramatic, it really is, I think, out of any of his movies. I would say, so Punch Drunk Glove, I do think you can call a comedy. Sure. I do think that works. But I think this movie is funnier sure. than Punch Drunk Glove. Totally. You know? And this I is think his funniest it's, movie by far, I think. And I think it's intentionally trying to be funny. Right. Yeah. Um, like, I guess what I mean is like Punch Run Glove, like, I, like, so Adam Sandler's in it. There's scenes that are deliberately, purposefully comedic, even though those exist in all of his films, even the most sure. serious ones. Yeah. But um, I guess because it's so abstract and there is like a very dark element to Punch Run Glove and the way it's told is sort of um there's like this sort of fantasy element and it's like it's it's artier than licorice pizza sure. you know what i'm saying like totally. it's almost like he's doing like with punch on glove it's comedic in that he was almost like i've heard him mention this in interviews where it's his version of a musical you know punch on okay. glove sure. without the songs you know it's like and so in that way I get that kind of adds the comedic tone of that film but Mm -hmm. with Licorice Pizza I think there's more humor in this film right I think more jokes and there's more like gag kind of material absolutely throughout the whole thing absolutely John C. Riley had that little scene as Fred Gwynn yeah, as, um, yeah, and, and I remember seeing Herman Munster, and I, I thought that was a funny, but I had I didn't know that was him in yeah, the John moment. Yes, John C. Riley doing it. Yeah, and it wasn't really until funny. after I looked at it, and then looking at the cast list, there's some people that are in the movie that I didn't recognize, or maybe their scenes were cut. Like Ben Stiller was supposedly in the movie, but I guess his scene <laughs> I don't maybe remember that. his wow. scene got cut. I guess okay. maybe. Huh. Um, but uh, God. The, there's a few others, but like, and then I'm seeing here apparently Leo, Leo's dad George, George yeah, DiCaprio's in it. <laughs> he and he, and uh, gets a, a shout out. Um, but apparently Leo was offered a role in the movie. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. My guess is if 
it doesn't say which role it was, but my guess is it's the Bradley Cooper role. I think so. I was going to say that has guess. to be it, yeah. Because they're about the same age, mm-hmm. I feel like, right? Yeah. And, around um, the same age, I think, yeah. They, they have to be around the same age. Let's they're see. like... Uh, 47 for Leah. Bradley Cooper is... 46, yep. Just see your Okay, so like, wow. so like... I guess. It, it had to have been that, yeah, that character. Must have been. Um, which, to be honest, I, I could see... I could actually see that being kind of funny. It would have been good, I bet. he's... Leo's actually pretty good at being an angry old middle-aged guy Absolutely. now. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. No, totally. Um, but that being said, I did like Bradley Cooper. I thought he was fantastic. And it's funny because I remember when this project got announced, you and I were talking about it, and you're like, ah, oh, dude, I'm not a big Bradley Cooper guy. <laughs> and it's funny because I'm not either. Yeah. But uh, I don't hate him, but like, he's not my favorite actor. And... No. Um, but I thought he was hilarious. He's so, good. He's so funny in this. And we bought uh, my wife and I we were at the record store the other day, yeah. and we bought that Barbara Streisand record, Guilty. Oh, that yeah, has Guilty. Yeah, and the guy in the cover. That's hysterical. We bought, we oh bought that. We haven't listened to it yet. We we bought a bunch of records, but we um, maybe we'll play that tonight. I don't know, but um, yeah, I just think like. In which, by the way, and sorry, I, I feel like maybe I should mention at this point. Yeah. Um, I guess this conversation's been a bit all over the place. Yeah, but that's okay, it, right? It's fine, dude. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I love it. Honestly, I'm here for it. Yeah. Um. I noticed so. There's just these little things, little details mm-hmm. in, in, PTA's films and. I don't exactly know how significant they are in a similar way to like David Lynch, you know, it's like there's, there's little things you could pick out and it's difficult to tell what is significant or what isn't. Right. But I thought it was just interesting. Like I think about like imagery from his older films and I just think like, okay, so I think of like Barry Egan in the blue suit. Yep. Uh, I see Gary wears a suit in this sure. film. Totally. And it's like a red suit, right? It's kind of like right. a red suit. He was a red suit, yeah. And he's doing the thing that his dad used to do a lot, where he put his hands arms, on his, his hands yeah. on his hips, yeah. and like, um, and then Bradley Cooper's character has like that all white, all kind of thing, which is you know yeah. of its time, but still sure. feels like it. There's something going on there. there there's For sure. like these colors that are, and um, so I feel like that's like a. common trait in his work for sure right for sure. i think color plays like, like there's colors that represent the like the characters and the energy of certain characters and um i feel like even in the master that that plays a role sure. as well Absolutely. and uh it's maybe a little bit less like refined but uh i just think it's funny that you, you see these sort of tropes of his i guess that kind of get that it's, it's get represented absolutely it's interesting you say that because like when i walked out of this like so Conzo and i saw it together mm-hmm. uh, with lauren also his wife um and you know jesse was there also and her boyfriend nate was there so it was like super cool to see everyone there you know for nice seeing this at the music it's a good crew oh, dude it was great i mean it's, it's a, a great wonderful crew. time um but at the end of it a part of me was like this feels like 
like an accumulation of like all of PTA's work in a weird way into one movie. Yeah. Granted, it's like totally so different than everything else he's yeah. done. But like, there's like little hints of everything else he's done in like a way in this one. I think that's why I appreciate it so much. It feels like totally this is the most like complete PTA movie in a weird way. Exactly. And then it's like it's yet another movie that takes place in like San Fernando Valley. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like. Um, and this is funny because, like, you know, so I saw it out here in LA at yeah. the Fox Westlake yeah. Theater. Um, incredible, incredible screen. Like, sure. Um, it's funny because I heard about the music box showing, and it's funny. It, it sounds very similar to what I experienced because, like, Katie and I got to the theater, and there's a huge fucking yeah, line. Of course. I went around, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, how are we all gonna fit? Like all of us have tickets because it's a sold yeah. out show so it's like and um it was quite an event and it's fine so like something that a new development for me with movies mm-hmm. that's happened as a result of my wife's influence yeah. is that when i go to the movies now mm-hmm. i like sitting in like the first like in the first five rows. Jeez, interesting. Okay, <laughs> I was in the very back, dude. Yeah, okay. interesting. Um, uh, so Katie loves being close, really close. To the okay, and I used to not get that at all. But we no. we saw Dune and French Dispatch. Okay, you know, both movies that I didn't really like, but yeah. it made them both more enjoyable. Sure. Like, I don't want to be in the very very front, but kind of close to the front row. Like. like it's sure. just like the image is so big and it just takes up your entire vision. Yeah. And you just get completely lost in it. And it's just like, to me, it's like if I'm going to the movies, I'm t- making the effort and spending the money to go to the movies. I kind of like having this immersive experience. You only get lost so that's kind of what it's been. Sure. So that's what we did for this, which, I mean, we didn't really have an option. By the time I bought tickets, most of it was almost sold out. So wow. we kind of had to sit there anyway. But it worked out because Katie loves that, and sure. um, it was it was uh, amazing. It was yeah. amazing watching it. Just the the images are just one. It was just another thing we should mention. So, like when we talk about how PTA's movies kind of remind you of how good movies can be. I was, I was about to go into that. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just because of how good they are. It's also like the fact that there's there are filmmakers that want to shoot on film yep. and show their film show like have them presented on film yeah is so special so obviously we the film comes out officially in wide release on christmas day right but um you and i both got to see the 70 millimeter yep and Man, what a treat what so like, good. it's beautiful it's beautiful. awesome yeah. It's awesome. It looks so apparently I thought the movie was shot on seventy millimeter, but it's I guess it wasn't. It was 35. shot on thirty five, but it was blown up to seventy. That's what you know, them thread also. Yeah, and yeah. I know he did that so I know the master was actually shot was 70. on seventy, but there were certain scenes that he shot in thirty five okay. and did the same thing. Interesting. I don't know why. I think maybe just depending on like the lighting or like the framing of the shot. Sure. I think he felt like, oh, we could just do this in 35 and then sure. blow it up to match the rest of the film stock. Mm-hmm. But um, 
it really does make a difference. It and does. Oh yeah. Watching something shot in film, mm-hmm. and again, like seventy millimeters, fucking beautiful. But even yeah. thirty-five yep. is is incredible. Yeah. Totally. And it's like I saw when I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It, so that was shot in thirty-five, mm-hmm. and I I saw that on film. Like it was. Yeah. It projected on 35 millimeter film projector so so cool it's like even when you see a digital print of it it still Mm. looks good because it's it's still a digital representation of a film product right but when you see it actually projected in that stock it's it's just so rich and lush and it's just the it reminds you it's like you're watching a film shot in the last year two years But it almost has like that real beautiful majestic quality yep. that you see in fifties films, you totally. know. And you you especially notice that in the master. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Like because and I guess because most of it was actually shot on seventy millimeter. Mm-hmm. But like, it's really with all of his films, but especially in the master, when you watch it, it's like there there are moments where I'm like, I I feel like I'm watching like an a Kazan film or yeah. like uh, you know, just uh. Or like Hitchcock, or like one sure. of these like fifties films that's yeah. like in this glorious technical era. Like, absolutely, it's um, it's incredible. So it's just like when a modern filmmaker is still working in this way, mm-hmm. it's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. For me, it's like you know, watching Licorice Pizza. Um, there were a lot of moments where I had that like, same reaction. Where I was like, shit, like. This is like like they they shot this on like actual film like it's a very like it's it's a beautiful thing to see especially like, oddly enough it's the moments with like sunsets in that movie where you're, you see a sunset you're just like oh my god like just incredible to see it's beautiful what what you know they can do with film still and you know I guess you know if anyone gets an opportunity to see it like seventy millimeter print or thirty five millimeter whatever one your theater is doing because they're doing both it seems at a lot of theaters just go like you won't regret it you know i mean it's it's just incredible um seeing phantom yeah. thread 70 millimeter was insane also like we went to the music box oh, yeah. and I for that i remember being like my god like yeah are you kidding me like it's insane that was the first one i so like because i we saw the master together we did. right we so saw we just yeah. we just saw the digital saw projection digital. but obviously it was a fil- it was shot on film so it still looked yeah. good but we just saw the digital print right. at uh landmarks Landmark. century yeah but um yeah i saw phantom thread with my sister out here um at the arc light theater which is oh, cool. now closed down Gone, unfortunately yeah. but um but that was the first time i kind of went to one of those screenings and True. uh it was just so worth it it's just yeah. like it it just looks beautiful yeah. there's no other way to describe it it just Absolutely. looks beautiful and like and if you're interested in film why wouldn't that be exciting to right. you? Right. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's just, it just like, I'm glad. So, like, living in LA is sometimes fucking annoying, as I'm sure living in Chicago it can <laughs> sure. be really annoying. But I am glad that both of us have, like, it's cool that we can, uh, it's cool that we live in cities that, that, offer these sorts of experiences you know what i mean and um and it's funny like i was i was talking with katie like the other night like 
uh, lately because like we've been watching a lot of other movies lately too, sure. and I've been seeing a lot of good ones, and it's notable just because the majority of movies that I feel like come out and that I see are kind of mediocre. You know, sure. like I feel like if I if I were to go to like my letterbox and look up what is the highest, what is the most common rating I have. It'd probably be two and a half to three stars, right, sure. you know, because so many things are just so middling. Sure. So, like, when you see something that kind of really transcends that, yeah. and it feels alive, and like, you just have to appreciate it. And right. I feel like, regardless of what his like, what he film he makes, anything that Paul Thomas Anderson does is going to be interesting. Right. Absolutely. And at this point, he's eclipsed Wes. You yeah. know what I mean? Sure. Like, I, I remember back in the day, my when I was like a teenager, my big thing was like, oh, Wes or PTA? Like, who's the better? You know what I mean? I always yeah. like, it was a constant struggle, but I was always of the opinion that Wes was the better filmmaker because sure. I felt like he made movies that were less dramatic and therefore less pretentious. Sure. But now, I kind of think the opposite. Yeah. I feel like Paul's films are a little more natural Sure. Feeling to me. I feel like everything is so artificial with Wes Anderson at this point. Even if it looks kind of nice and tidy and quaint, it's just sort of like too precious to me. Whereas like there's a rawness to even as even though Paul works with all the the, he's a big into like in some ways Paul is precious because it's like, okay, like I'm working on film and I, I have you know narratively and the way that his movies are cut mm-hmm. they're less self-conscious than Wes Anderson I think movies. so yeah for sure and who knows maybe they'll level out again because like I do love like there's still Wes Anderson movies that I love yeah I just think that in the last 10 years if you look back at the last 10 years for both of their careers Paul is winning it's, yeah absolutely I think for He's, Wes Anderson like when did he kind of not like fall off Moonrise, but, like, Moonrise. Moonrise I think we talked about this yeah like that was Moonrise, when he fell off yeah, and like I liked it, but I remember watching it and I was kind of like, I don't know, I don't know. It's just like I just think that again, like they're both both Wes and Paul are the same age, pretty much, and yeah. they're contemporaries. And um, it's just funny that neither of them have acknowledged each other that much, even no. though I imagine that they're friendly with one another. I'm sure they have. To I am. Be. I imagine. Yeah. And. Uh, I'm, uh, they both have many, many more years of, of work left in them. So sure. I'm sure Wes could get it back. I just think that... Um, I just like that Paul made a movie that feels like... It feels like one of his films. Sure. But isn't oppressively stylized or like... Um, you know what I'm saying? Like ornate yeah. in like this, like like when Wes Anderson makes movies, it's almost like every shot he's like, does this look enough like I directed A Wes it? Anderson movie. You know yeah, what I mean? For sure. Totally. And that's the thing that I used to love about his movies was how how distinct they were. Mm-hmm. But uh, like, have you have you seen French Dispatch? No, I'm not, no. Okay. I, I would like to. But Are you like, planning heard, on seeing it? I, I would like to at some point, but yeah. I've heard like pretty middle I imagine you'll, other folks too but I imagine you'll watch it at some point yeah um, at some point in my life probably it's it's just like it's funny so like in the same film season we had 
new films from both Wes Anderson right. and Paul Thomas Anderson. And yeah. seeing them so close to each other mm-hmm. is part of what makes me so confident in why I said what I said and that right. I I went into both of these films, Licorice Pizza, French Dispatch, with a relatively open mind. Sure. And one film was kind of exactly what I expected in right. a way, and that was French Dispatch. Right. And then this one, Licorice Pizza, to me is just so unusual it's like yeah. it, it, it's familiar in that like there's other coming of age films there's other movies that take place in the 70s mm-hmm. or whatever but it feels totally separate from the traditions of coming of age films or sure. 70s films um it just feels completely original to what it is right and uh and i feel like we've talked about this before i feel like we we brought it up during the the pta episode mm. But I remember thinking, like, it makes me wonder how he comes up with screenplay ideas. Because even when he adapts a story, I I wonder that same thing. Because something has to initiate that urge to even adapt a story. You know what I mean? Like, it's like Inherent Vice or There Will Be Blood. It's like... um, Something has to spark that interest and even... Uh, writing a story about this subject you know mm-hmm. so like I just find his movies so fascinating because it's like it seems to me that he comes up with his projects just based off of whatever he's happens to be interested in in that moment right you know what I mean it's like totally and then he kind of it seems like he follows that interest down like this rabbit hole where it's right. like in a way, it just reminds it, it reminds me of just us and that like sure. I you know like like lately I've been really into like jazz music for cool. example hell yeah and you know when you just get interested in something you kind of just take a deep dive into it and mm-hmm. then it leads you to one thing and that thing leads you to another thing and then you're reading about kind of the the origins of this thing that you're currently sure. interested in. I feel like that's how he comes up with some of his screenplay ideas. Totally. Like I th- like there will be blood for example. I think he just happened to be thinking about oh like oil, the oil industry. What's this about? Okay, right. like like here's this book. Okay, like Upton Sinclair. Okay. Like I just think that he Do you ever just like you get lost on like a Wikipedia page for yep. a while and you fall yep. down like a hole? You know what I mean? Yeah, I almost feel like that's kind of how he he develops his ideas that's, for a story. Even like uh, Punch Drunk Love in a weird way, the whole thing with Barry getting the uh, the pudding, like to get the freaking like it's based I on a like real story. Like he must have heard that. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, it's really weird." And he thought, "Oh, that's kind of a weird thing." And then like he thought of a way to contextualize that right story. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, and yeah. I feel like that's kind of how he comes up with, and I actually I love that because to me, for being such a, like someone who's I think, as far as I'm concerned, such a good writer and and, yeah. and thoughtful kind of hmm. personality, I just think that's so interesting 
and relatable. Sure. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I just feel like the way that these these stories are, are just implanted into his head, like, I, I imagine it's, it's just like anyone else. Like, you, 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 as we go about our lives, we kind of develop these little interests in various things. Totally. And then we, we kind of, we have like this, there's like an itch you want to scratch, I guess, as an artist, you know, in terms of something that you want to do. And maybe you haven't been able to quite come up with a story that, that encapsulates this idea that you want. And then you discover this, this subject that interests you. And then you find a way to kind of bring them together. And I think, uh, that seems to be the way he works. Right. Like, so like, whatever his next film is, it's going to just be whatever is on his mind currently, you yeah. know? Yeah. And I love that. I think yeah. that's, that's a, that's a brilliant way to create. Yeah. Um, I think like what's cool is to see that like, he's really pivoted. Like not to say that like hard aid, um, boogie nights, magnolia are necessarily like imitation of like other directors but they kind of are in their own weird way like sure like boogie nights hard eight is like you know scorsese like for sure yeah magnolia like altman yeah sure. uh-huh. um but i feel like with punch strong glove and onward he's kind of coming to his own and he's become like his yeah. own filmmaker like, like i mean he was prior to that for sure but i think like he kind of found his own voice and was like i can make movies that are about things I'm interested in. Not to say that he wasn't interested in the uh, porn industry with Boogie Nights, because he was. Like he even mm-hmm. like said, like, yeah, like apparently he it's part of his like that's like yeah. that's all based out of where he grew up. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like, that's yeah. all. Yeah. yeah, you know that's that's Paul being Paul, which is mm-hmm. fucking hilarious, I think. But like, yeah, um, I think just with Punch Drunk Love and Onward, he really hit a point where he was like, these are the things I'm interested in. I'm just gonna roll with this. And yeah. Like, like punch drunk glove, I still there are times I'm like, where the hell did he come up with this? Yeah, I like know. it's it's a fat like you know everything else I can see like where it came from like there will be blood kind of like what you said like oh like sure. the oil industry capitalism oh here's mm-hmm. uh, Upton Sinclair book oh I'm gonna read this and I'm gonna kind of take parts of it and then adapt it into my own uh, the master you know being about uh, World War Scientology II. and then Scientology. Scientology. yeah kind of like bringing those the concepts together experience. yeah exactly. for sure right because he watched that one documentary about like PTSD uh, after World War II and then he mm-hmm. was like oh like this informs yeah. his character he made then Inherent Vice I mean it's a pension novel so he probably thought it was cool and some weird sure. thing which it is it's a fucking weird yeah. movie uh, Phantom Thread I'm sure you know he had his influences of that. Yeah, sure. I'm just like, maybe he was just reading about, like, okay, like, fashion, history, right. history of fashion, you know, and it's like, UK, London, high fashion sort of thing. You know, it, these are things that are fascinating in their own way, right. you know what I mean? Cause Absolutely. They, they, they've taken a hold of culture and, and, and um, influenced culture. So it's, a, it's kind of like, he almost asks, like, okay, where did these where did this come from? Where did these ideas come from? And it's like, he kind of, uh, it's like, okay, like, like London high end fashion design, like, like I'll write a film that deals very specifically with that. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's fascinating. I think with punch drunk love, it almost seemed like from what I hear, 
he one just simply wanted to experiment making a movie that was less that was like an hour and a half yeah and then he felt like if he was going to do that he wanted to pay tribute to a genre that that usually ran in that running time you know so it's like musical comedy or something so then it was like his idea of like a fred astaire kind of thing like like a like a ginger rogers kind of thing right dynamic like him and emily watson but filtered through his sort of fucked up dark mind (laughs) yeah and um yeah, I mean, it's just so the end result is just whether, whether you love the movie or not. Yeah, it's an interesting movie for sure. For sure, you can't deny that. Yeah. So, and I feel like with something like this, and if this kind of goes with what you're saying, with ever since that film forward, I feel like he definitely, like some people still make the Altman connection now. Sure. With, with his more recent films, but. I actually think there's more of a connection between Altman and his earlier work. For sure. Uh, same with Scorsese. Right. And I think that it's really been kind of, again, there's little traces of other direct. You could say, you could say Altman is still in there somewhere, but sure. I think that his, his style is very much more him. For sure. This point. For sure. And, um, and if anything, I feel like this movie If it's not the best example of that, it's one of them. I right. think. Right. Totally. I think it's it, it's it's because of how enjoyable it is, um, and funny and, and uh, sort of thoughtful, mm-hmm. as thoughtful as it is, it it makes it I think a more effective For film sure. in some ways than maybe the last few movies that are very heavy. But that being said, um, I'll okay. You know what? I'll say this. Right now, my feeling is my three favorite PTA movies are... I was about to do this. Yeah, this, go ahead. Yeah. This, The Master, and Punch Drunk Love. Those are my, those are my three favorites. I imagine your so order three, ranking. So three, two, one. Okay. Three is Liquor Pizza. Two is The Master. One is Punch Drunk Love. We have the That's, same Those thing. are my favorites. All, all we're doing is reversing Master for and, Punch Drunk for me. Yeah, Master's mm-hmm. my favorite, Punch Drunk, then this. I love this movie. I honestly yeah. love it. I think it is, it's hysterical. It's mm-hmm. very sincere. I think mm-hmm. the uh, the love story we're seeing in this is like, again, it's what we said before. It's like, yeah, some people are going to get huffy. And They're going to be huffy about it, but it seems very, so unnecessary. It's, it's unnecessary because it's such an innocent story. It it's is. It's like, look, it's a 15-year-old kid who thinks his 25-year-old's hot and he wants to have a thing with her. He wants to connection yeah. with her. and. They do have a connection. I mean, they like, do, even if know, it's not exactly the connection that maybe he want like envisions yeah. for himself immediately. Like he just likes being around right. this person. Absolutely. Very, like, even like when she's dating that co-star of his, yeah, and it pisses, it definitely annoys him and it bothers him. But he, he's still gonna hang out with her. You know what I mean? Like it's like, yeah. like I think more than anything, he just gets he likes being around this person right and totally. it's like if even if she doesn't feel 100 percent that exact same way about mm-hmm. him that kind of doesn't matter to him right you know what i mean like totally. like yeah he, he he wants her attention but um i think he just gets a buzz out of uh having her in his life right totally. and i think she ultimately feels the same way yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. It's great, and and like, what's what's wrong with that? Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Like, exactly. and that's something that's been that's something that's been a, depicted in film for years and years it, and years, and will continue and to be depicted. Look, end of day, it's a fucking movie. It's a movie, and mm-hmm. like, you know, again, there's nothing explicitly like sexual between them. No. It's just like this is innocent, goofy crush yeah. half the time, and yeah. like. You know, it ends up with him getting a kiss at the end of the movie, then they run mm-hmm. away. And it's just kind of sweet. You're like, all right, cool. Yeah, it is. Um, it truly is. Side note, the soundtrack for this movie is so good. It's yeah, so yeah, good. It, it captures is. that era just, like, outstandingly. Um, Great soundtrack. I've been bumping it the last, like, few days, and it's just, you know, you have yeah. Paul McCartney with Wings, uh, oh, Bowie, yeah. Uh, yeah. Bing Crosby, Tears, Bing Crosby, Sonny and Cher, the Me doors, the doors, yeah. It's it's so it's so good. Um, James Gang, yeah, is in there. Chuck Berry, Chuck Berry, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's it's a great, like, diverse soundtrack. The soundtrack almost reflects the film in a way. In that, so it mm-hmm. takes place in 1973. So the Bowie inclusion is obvious, you know, right? Because that's of its time. But mm. so the movie kind of addresses the fact that like it's 1973 and it's, that's a very odd mm-hmm. time in like the Hollywood scene. Cause it's like, you have this transitionary period where, and I guess when I say Hollywood, I can, I'm referring to both like the film culture, music culture, pop culture in general. But like mm-hmm. in 1973, it's just, it's an odd thing in that Jim Morrison is dead, but right. Bing Crosby is still alive, you know? Right. right yeah. So it's yeah. like, it's like, there's these there are these figures from culture. Bing Crosby obviously is is this cultural figure from like the forties and thirties, forties, fifties. But, you know, is still alive, you know, and still and then you have like these younger characters, like the people who represent sort of the emerging art music right. culture, film culture, whatever. But then you have some of those people who are dead by 1975 you know so it's like you you have like so it's like this transition like the industry both film music television whatever like it's clearly going through a change you know and it had been for a while since the late 60s you know and that's what we see in once upon a time in hollywood as Mm -hmm. well which is kind of why it also reminds me of that film and that it addresses that you can say awkward transitionary phase in entertainment but this movie, I think, in particular, um, I like how they incorporate not only just like in the film, like like visual visually, but in its soundtrack, it's it represents that kind of transitionary thing to where you have these seven, like Bowie, Doors, Wings, Joe Walsh, Gordon Lightfoot, alongside Bing Crosby and. Uh, Nina Simone. Uh, Nina Simone and uh, like uh, Chico Hamilton. You know what I mean? Like, like like these older artists from a different era. It, the, the fact that they coexist on the soundtrack, it, it reflects the film and the themes right. of the film and what was going on at the time. Like like the, it reflects the setting so well. For sure. Um, and even like, you know, like with like the, Holden character like so like that's supposed to be uh he's supposed to be like William Holden right yeah yeah and um so that's 
even that is like an example of like old Hollywood. Sure. Sort of uh, the remnants of old Hollywood still existing in the early 70s. So I think that the movie does a really good job and a fun job at just like uh, contrasting these these like two eras, like these these sensibilities that are... um, I guess not two eras, but just like the the old Hollywood ending and turning into the new Hollywood seventies American, like the whole like like the movie kind of setting wise, it, pre- it just predates like the whole like you know American film thing of like Scorsese right. and uh, Robert Altman and uh, Brian De Palma, and so, you know what I mean? Like it's like. Mm-hmm it's immediately predating that sort of thing. So I think that Paul PTA did a great job. I think crafting a story that has that as the backdrop. It had like that whole era is its backdrop, but it doesn't feel like a period, just like, Oh, this is a period piece. It doesn't feel like a coming of age film. It's just this, this sort of unique experience. Right. I mean, honestly, I, I keep going back to it. It's very slice of life. It's kind of like, this is the day in these people's fucking life. And it's just weird and wacky and insane. But even like, you know, how it begins and how it ends is kind of just like, there's nothing so extravagant about it. Like there are moments no. that are insane and weird, but like, you know, yeah, with that it, runtime, it's just kind of funny that like, it is really, this is kind of like, yeah, here's a glimpse in the, strange life of gary valentine and alana kane you're like all right cool yeah that's really yeah. what it is as we were talking i kept like thinking like okay like man pta always reinvents himself but he really doesn't like right even in watching this it's like there are those trademark pta things that we know and love even if like the sons are a bit much like you know he has this very like uh he, he's totally willing to do like the uh kind of toilet humor the uh super horny humor like there's a part oh, of the yeah. pinball thing where the guy's banging on the machine initially then later cuts to that same guy and he's like a woman in front of him he's like railing her from behind i'm like yeah jesus christ paul but like that's how you love the guy though you know like that's pta dude i mean he's into like slapstick humor yeah. and like you and know what i mean like that was he... the thing with like inherent vice he's like i want to make yeah. a slapstick comedy out like that does have slapstick moments yeah but oh. this like i think this is like Almost is like the comedy he always wanted to make, I think. Yeah. In a lot yeah. of ways. Like going into it, I was talking to a friend and he was like, So where are you gonna like see like going into it, where do you think you're gonna put it in your PTA rankings? And I was like, I don't know, probably like mid tier PTA. I think it'll be fine. But then like coming out of it, I was like, Shit, like you need to see this. This is really good. He's yeah. like, Why? I'm like, It's just hilarious. It's a sweet movie. Like it's it's so good. So before we end things here, should we maybe just maybe reflect a little bit on previous films we've watched and maybe just name a couple that we thought were notable? For sure, yeah. No, that'd be fun, I think. Um, um, yeah, you can take one first. Go for it. Yeah, man. I think the film that impacted me the most was Stalker. Nice, yeah. Um, I thought it was the most provocative movie that we watched for sure stalker for sure 
that's uh i think of like all the directors we kind of discovered while doing the podcast like tarkovsky for sure was like my go-to dude like you know i watched um like ivan's child obviously like stalker ivan's childhood and then i watched mirror on my own like a few months ago and i thought it was fantastic i loved it yeah it's, i still uh, have to see it beautiful it's so good um well worth renting or however you want to watch it but in terms of like one film oddly enough it comes down to two for me it's either uh il posto the olmi film that we watched yeah i, I love that it. one i thought it was so good but i yeah, think I loved it. more so for me <clears throat> was a, a man escaped i think was my favorite thing we watched uh overall yeah. for sure a man um, escaped is brilliant so good uh just you know that kind of like minimalist aesthetic and writing and what Brisson's able to do with that is create this really fleshed out, incredible, beautiful, devastating film all in an hour forty minutes. I mean, it's it's yeah, it, it's incredible. It's it's you know, it's a feat in a lot of ways to create something like that. Um, yeah, love to Absolutely. Maybe want to want to go down and watch more of his stuff. And uh, I've watched a few other things from him since then for sure. But like that was the one movie from the podcast I remember just being like shit like this is awesome this is like incredible i'm glad that you liked it as much as you did because that's actually it's one of my uh 10 favorite movies i think it's, I it's so good i love it yeah it's 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 Fantastic. yeah it's brilliant yeah I, I, that's a great choice that's a great choice um yeah as far as the films go i think that totally makes sense in terms of the most fun i had recording an episode um maybe i have three in mind for me my uh my big three were our PTA talk uh-huh. was one of them. Uh, Watermelon man. Yeah. That was a good one. And yeah. daddy long legs were the yeah. three that I was like, loved it. Um, yeah. Shout out the fanatic as well. Yeah. I was looking at that. Too. Maybe not yeah, a great movie, but a, a fun one to discuss. On fun the one to discuss. Yeah. Um, Arizona dream was a good, good discussion. Um, I think, uh, I felt like uh, our Akatoni episode was a good one. I remember that Akatoni was that good. One a lot. Yeah, was a great I, one. Akatoni was good. Um, I think the Mank one was good as well. Yeah. I felt like that was a very like uh, that was a tec- good one, yeah. that was a very technical one. I feel like it was because right. like that was a movie from last year that I think we were all really excited about and then kind of disappointed <laughs> by. It. Yeah, that's what um, that was great. Um, the hour of the wolf one that was, was a good one was really good and that's actually one that a lot of people listen to on soundcloud oh, really? yeah huh. for whatever reason Interesting. um yeah didn't the arizona dream one get like a ton of plays yeah and that one got some decent views that's too. so weird to me i wonder why yeah it's, it's kind of interesting but was um, there one movie you were disappointed by that we watched that wasn't make um, like a different one so something that wasn't mank uh I didn't think this movie sucked, but to me the most disappointing thing we watched was um the Korean film A Tale of Two Sisters. Yes. Yeah. The horror so, movie. So it's funny cuz like that movie continues to show up when even this last year when I was going through like um on all the streaming platforms when they yeah. they have like horror suggestions that movie always comes up and it has very good reviews it didn't do and much i don't me. understand why i don't know yeah. for me um 
the one movie that I was like super disappointed by, which I didn't even give it like a bad rating. I gave it a three. Was uh, Uncle Boon Me, who can recall his past lives? Yeah. It it appears on a lot of lists as like one of the best films of the last uh, like ten years. I remember like I know. I think watching it like like I thought it was like good. I didn't think it was like a bad movie by any means. But I remember uh, even now like trying to recall like details from it. I'm just kind of like indifferent towards it. It has some so, very cool moments, but uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I was gonna mention that one too. Yeah. Um, there was sort of a quiet beauty to that movie, sure. but I also felt like, considering how praised it was mm-hmm. at the time, because I remember when it came out, considering how praised it was, I just felt like I was a little disappointed. Sure. I guess I'll just briefly mention some other movies I've watched lately. Yeah, um, sure. uh, last night I watched Muppet Christmas Carol. Yep. Loved fantastic it. fantastic uh, you know we're we're in the holiday again as we mentioned we're in the holiday season right now mm-hmm. so katie and i are watching a lot of christmas movies so uh muppet christmas carol is great mm. uh we watched white christmas which is also great yeah that's with bing crosby um and uh we're gonna try to watch holiday in soon by the oh way. yeah all right we're man try to watch yep. it. you like that one a lot i love holiday and it's yeah. fantastic it's so um, good so we're gonna try to watch that soon. Uh, I watched Rope recently. Okay. Uh, uh, a bunch of Hitchcock stuff got added to Criterion. I that saw was one that. of them. Yeah. Rope is fucking awesome. Okay. I think that is one of the best Hitchcock movies, okay. and I I had never seen it. We we just we put it on. Katie had watched it, but I I had never seen it and sure. um, loved it. Nice, brilliant movie. It's awesome. Brilliant fucking movie. Um, Big Night. I watched recently, which I had never seen, with uh, Stanley Tucci and uh, Tony Shalhoub. That was mm-hmm. really good. Art of Self-Defense. It's okay. Uh, it's Jesse Eisenberg. Came out a couple years ago. Um, it was just all right. True. Um, Thief by Michael Mann. Oh, right. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. I've watched part one of The Beatles Get Back. Oh, I yeah, started. Man. I haven't started part two yet, just because... Part two is really long. Yeah. They're all long. Yeah. But um, I love part one. It's so good. I'm excited to see part two. I just like that. So it's a documentary, but in a way it's just footage that's just pieced together, you know? And I think it's better for that. It's almost, it's not like this proper documentary with like a voiceover narration. It's not like Peter Jackson's like, oh, and then... Then the lads went to the studio. There's, you know what I mean? Like, there's a running just, gag on Twitter about Dave Grohl like cutting it at random points. Make <laughs> and the four boys got together, and you can guess what happened next. Right. <laughs> Which like, thing, you like, can see someone doing that, but like I love can, how this is. It's so good. I just like that. You know, you can tell they they had to go through hours and hours and hours of footage, yeah. but it feels like it's like raw, unedited right. footage that's yeah. just being presented to us. Yeah, and um. It's better as like this kind of sprawling footage as opposed to like this kind of real rigid sure. documentary. You know, I just like it's really just observing them as they kind of are in this last ditch effort, I guess, to sort of get that get it together. And right. um, the dynamic between all of them is fascinating. You know, it's you could tell that even though things were sort of apparently tense in the band, they still have like these fun times together, you know? Yeah. 
I'm about halfway into part two, and it it just keeps getting better, dude. It's so good. Like, yeah. you know, God bless Peter Jackson for that effort he's yeah. doing with this thing. Like, dude, dude's yeah. awesome. He's a champ. I mean, yeah, yeah. Beyond Lord of the Rings, great. kicking ass. Like, he's obviously he's a very passionate filmmaker yeah. and you know historian in his own way. May uh, as well wrap this up. I'll do the we quick did. one thing. I watched a few things. Nothing oh, super yeah. notable. No, no, no. You're good. Nothing super notable. Stuff we've all seen. Uh, La Dolce Vita, obviously fantastic film. Beautiful. Up there for Felita's oh, yeah. best. Maybe just a notch below eight and a half for me. Sure. Saw After Hours for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Thought it was yeah. awesome. Yeah, uh, it's good, isn't it? Incredibly uh, See, that's insane another one. movie. That's it's like, so good. I loved it's it. It's funny, and yeah. it's, it's kind of like Scorsese most of his movies have some humor in yeah. it, you know, but it, that's another one that's kind of fun because it's more of a, a direct comedy yeah. than a lot of his other movies. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's, it's so fucking wild. I loved it. Um, I'm trying to think of what else notably, um, but, but, but 2046 kind of yeah. the sequel to in the mood for love. Um, yeah, I liked it a lot. I thought it was really good. The kind of sci-fi direction and parts of it was like weird to me, but I didn't mm-hmm. hate it personally. Sure, I enjoyed yeah. it though. Um, that box set, by the way, the one uh, car Y one is beautiful, fantastic. I got it at the fifty nice. percent off sale, so I was like, oh. I might as well go for it, dude. Good, uh, good deal. That was a good sh- call. Oh yeah, totally. I, I think I'm gonna start doing that at like, the big sales. Yeah, I have to well. start doing that too. The the the, the stuff that's especially expensive. Yeah. That's what I have to. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the Shining, obviously, incredible film. Um, oh yeah. One of Kubrick's best for sure. Uh, good time to mention to watch the best Christmas movie, uh, Eyes Wide Shut. One of the best that's Christmas right. holiday films, really. That's right. About yes. <laughs> Tom Cruise getting cucked. <laughs> <laughs> For for two and a half hours, for two, two and a half hours, forty minutes. Yeah, yeah. and movie rules for what it's worth. Yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. Fucking insane. It's awesome. Uh, then two that I did not care for, but no three I didn't care for. Uh, Dune was not a fan of Dune. Yeah, same. Uh, Lawnmower Man from nineteen ninety three, I think. Let's take a quick look. Nineteen ninety two with um, Pierce Brosnan in it. Very bad movie. Very funny, though. And uh, Space Jam, A New Legacy, <laughs> not a good movie. Mm, uh, pales yeah. in comparison to the uh, predecessor. <laughs> uh, no, for sure. But that's been my, my life in film the last six months, Space Jam and Fellini. So there you go. <laughs> hey, that's good. What a pairing, that's right? That's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Yeah, dude. So I, I think... Uh, think this is this is the logical conclusion right i think this is the logical conclusion i do love that we were able to get a pta movie for the last one i think it's yeah. very poetic and beautiful in its own way i think i yeah i think it's it very uh fitting that sure we end the end the podcast with the newest film from our one of our favorite filmmakers yes, so it, absolutely it, it's it was great cool well, it's been a it's been a wild ride. It has <laughs> a wild ride in podcasting and having six month breaks between episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I had a great time doing it. Absolutely, that's why you know I'm stoked for whatever we do next. I think just 
Something where we're not paying SoundCloud uh, 16 bucks a month or whatever, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> we just, yeah. We'll, uh, you'll, you'll hear about that soon after the new year. We'll, uh, we'll be posting about that. We'll, we'll let you know how that develops. But in the meantime, uh, thanks everyone who listened. And uh, yeah, I guess yeah. that's just it. Thank you for listening. And, and it, was, uh, it was fun doing this, John. Yeah, no, it was a blast for sure. Stoked for what comes next. Uh, closing words, don't buy NFTs. Don't do don't it. buy NFTs. Don't buy fucking NFTs. No. Yeah, it's 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 stupid. It's stupid. Yeah. Make your money like an adult. <laughs> exactly. That's all I gotta say. I think that's good advice. Yeah, absolutely. All right, folks. Well, thanks again for listening, and this has been in the queue. We will see you later. For sure. In whatever, Take care. whatever, whatever form that is. Whatever. Yeah. Take care, y'all. Yeah.